and welcome to the second episode of the Morbidly Deceased Podcast, the show that keeps the Halloween spirit alive 365 days of the year. I'm your host, JT McCallum. And I'm Evan Dilworth. And today we're going to be talking about a couple of things. Um, First to start out, I just want to say thank you to everybody for liking and sharing and listening to our first episode. Um, Pretty sure Evan's going to agree with me, but uh, the outpour of love and support from all of you have been absolutely amazing. Yeah, (laughs) it's been pretty cool to see everybody like liking the page and even a couple people like wrote a review. Yeah, that was really that's, awesome. That's really neat. Yeah, so thank you all very much. I greatly appreciate it. Um, we're going to do one more episode in 2019 and then uh, be on the lookout for all the shit that we do in 2020 because we've got a lot of really cool stuff yeah. that we've been talking about wanting to do. Um So today, to uh, start at this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, sequels that uh, are as good, if not a little bit better, than the original. Now, we're not talking about, you can't say, oh, Halloween 5. You have to say, it's got to be the direct sequel, so Halloween 2. So, that's if you listen to the first episode, that's not going to be either one of our answers. (laughs) Um, But, uh, Evan, would you like to start off with a sequel that is as good as the original? I'm. <laughs> it took me a bit because I was looking at some stuff, and one movie that I like, especially now around the holidays, is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Mm-hmm. And that movie's just pure sleaze and everything I love in these kinds of movies. So I'm going to pick Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 2 right. from 1987. Um, <laughs> it's not necessarily better than the first one or as good right. it kind of stands on its own because it's literally 75% of this movie is part one right and then like the other 25% is all the shit they shot for part two right and um I forget the guy's name um uh, Eric Freeman who plays Ricky which was the lead actor's brother in the first one I forget right. his name too it always happens like every time we get on mic or something <laughs> yeah, I forget, forget everything now and I'm just gonna sound like an idiot <laughs> so anyways he is now grown up and he's the killer in part two and everybody knows like in this movie his big thing is when he goes out in the middle of the street and somebody's <laughs> carrying trash and he just yells garbage day and then shoots, shoots the guy <laughs> and i just remember watching him being like this is so bad like i love this right and that's that like i don't know 15 minutes is worth the whole like hour and a half of that movie. Right. It's so fun. Oh my god. See, when everyone talks about that movie and that scene in particular, no one ever talks about the funniest part, which is when he like twirls the gun and then blows the oh. smoke out of it <laughs> and starts laughing. I know, such a weird laugh, too. It's, it's so forced. Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh it's my so god. good. Um <laughs> do you okay, this is kind of on topic of Silent Night Deadly Night, but have you seen um there was like a the parents who were trying to ban the movie because of the poster and, yeah, and the and, first one, yeah. yeah, and and the the TV commercials and stuff. Oh my god! They're like they're gonna think it's a killer Santa, I and like know. that's not <laughs> <laughs> just that's what the poster <laughs> is. That's uh, you know yeah, that was eighty four. I'm pretty sure, and that was like everybody going ape shit, right? <laughs> It's Just because funny. oh Santa's got an axe and it's bloody, right? Not the real Santa Claus, right? Exactly, Calm down, right? Like. <laughs> exactly. Has there ever been a movie with the where Santa comes and kills? Um, I think so. Uh, 
a few that I haven't seen. I think one of them is Rare Exports. Okay. Um, the other one... Yeah, the other one's uh, Sleigh Bells. Okay. With uh, Bill Goldberg. Oh, really? He plays a killer Santa. <laughs> okay, cool. And that, yeah, I've heard of that one. But okay. other than that, I'm not too sure. Right. I don't think too many, like too many, where there's actual Santa's killing people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so I'll list one of mine. Um, okay, I'm going to be a bit of a dickhead here. And <laughs> I know that our whole thing was like, oh, it has to be a direct sequel. So this is going to be technically a sequel, and it's technically the second sequel, but it's not um, called the title part two. I'm going to say Dawn of the Dead. It's a sequel to Night of the Living Dead. It's yeah. the direct sequel to it. Yeah. And it is as good, if not better, and I think it's much better than oh. Night of the Living Dead. Uh, we've already talked about Dawn of the Dead a bit, so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it. Um, but that is a movie that it takes everything that's great about Night of the Living Dead, and it just makes it better. Oh, yeah. uh, the zombies are better. Uh, the death scenes are better. The gore is better. The story is better. The characters are better. <laughs> the music's better. It's just... It takes everything that's great, like the concept of zombies coming back to life and these small group of people have to fight against them. It takes that, but instead of in a farmhouse, since it's in a shopping mall, (laughs) and it just ups the ante of everything that Night of the Living Dead was, and it just makes it better. And I just love Dawn of the Dead so much. No, I... As much as I love Night, Mm -hmm. Dawn is... Like, the better movie of the trilogy, no matter what. And I say trilogy because I still think of Night, Dawn, Day. Right. I like Land. Yeah, right. Some of the other ones, but, like, it's still the trilogy to me. Yeah. And Dawn just has... It literally has a little bit of everything. There's action. Mm -hmm. There's comedy. You know, there's super over-the-top gore. And then there's moments where they're just trying to be humane. And they're walking around doing grocery shopping. Right. That's, like, the best part of the... Yeah. It's so funny because the best... Well, one of the best parts of the movie, of this horror movie, is them ice skating, playing video games in an arcade. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, I, I love that movie so much. I could talk about it for like three hours. The part that always sticks out to me is, too, is when they're when they're going off and doing their own things. And I always remember Roger, and he's playing this, like, race car game. Yeah. And, and it crashes. It and he's yeah. just like, what he, the hell's going on? Yeah, and then and it just starts driving again, and he's just got this weird, like, Yeah, and he starts, like, laughing. Smile yeah, on his face. Yeah. And he's like... Okay, yeah, Roger, you're getting a little creepy now, right? <laughs> yeah, I know it's pretty crazy. But yeah, that movie, I think that's the greatest movie in Romero's career. And it's yeah, oh yeah, and and it, it sucks because he had a much lo- longer career than just stopping at seventy eight. But yeah, I I agree that that's probably the best his well, masterpiece. I think it is his masterpiece that's- because. Um, I mean, you've got Tom Savini just, not just starting, but, like, that's before he was, like, really taking off. So it's still when he was super loyal to Romero and shit. And, like, he was doing all of his best stuff for him at that point. So you get, like, a character like Tom Savini at his, like, the start of his peak. And then you have Romero, and then you have Goblin Score, and then you have Argento producing it. And it's just, it's so great. (laughs) I know. It's... I could watch that movie over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> I could watch it literally stop and then hit play again. Yeah. <laughs> and I wouldn't be bored. Right. And I'd have just as much fun as I did watching it like two hours ago. Right. No, for yes. sure. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, all right. What's your all right. other one? So my other one is uh, Friday the 13th Part 2. I was going to say that as well. Okay, <laughs> good. 81. Yeah. Um, Steve Miner. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
who went on to direct Halloween H2O. Yeah, So yeah. He, he dabbled in um, two of the big three. I like it. It's not, again, it's not better than the first one, but it introduces Jason. Mm-hmm. Um, and properly introduces yeah, Jason. Like, because for those that don't remember, um, Jason isn't the killer in the original Friday the 13th. It's his mom. Um, Jason is a child who died in the 50s. Yeah. And... Uh, that's the reason why the mom went on the killing spree. That's the reason why uh, when the people try to reopen the camp, she goes back and you don't realize that it's a woman until the last 15 minutes of the movie, I think. Yeah. Something like that. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, but everyone, and then at the end of the movie, when you think the movie's over and Alice is out on the boat and then this rotting corpse of a child jumps out and grabs her and, whether or not you like the movie, you have to admit that that is one of the best jump scares in the history yeah. of cinema. Um, however, once you get to part two, and it takes place like the next day, yeah, and I don't get that. No one ever igno- acknowledges <laughs> that J. Oh, Jason's just a person now, and yeah. he's been living in the woods for years. It's like, well, th- even though yesterday he was a child, <laughs> a dead child from the fifties, and now he's. A fucking... He's a hillbilly mongoloid that's r- right. super pissed off. Right. Living in a dirty old fucking shed in the woods. Right. And he's just like, now's my time. Right. And he's been living there for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I like it um, probably just as much as the first one. I yeah. mean, I like the look of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the... Um, the Relax. potato sack yeah. thing. Yeah. It's uh, my stepson's favorite, Jason. Right. He, lo- he calls him Baghead Jason. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just like he's menacing. He runs, and he runs like a really weird way. He's kind of crouched yeah. over a bit, and he's just like, yeah, he's got this little fucking eye peephole that right. he looks through. And it's just really fun, too, because although, like, I her name is... Ginny? No, her no. name's escaping me. Talking about the actress? Uh, Pamela Voorhees. Oh, yeah, the actress. Um, yeah. Betty. Oh, I don't know why this is. <laughs> Shit. Why did this happen? Um, Betsy Palmer. That's Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. And this I'm, is going to be the last episode of More Really This Week because we're obviously <laughs> fake fans. Holy shit. I, she's crazy in it, and I loved her performance, but then when... Um, uh, what's his name? John Fury, uh, who plays Jason, um, did a great job. And, um, you know, spoiler alert if you haven't <laughs> seen the movie, like his jump scare at the end, too, when you first see his face yeah. without the sack on, it's just. I think it's as good, if not better, than yeah, the part one like, ending. You see the kid's face, and it's like, yeah, it looks messed up, but he's got like tufts of hair yeah you just see how like deformed his skull is and right. the menacing like growl or scream he has when he grabs yeah and he uh, comes breaking through the window <sighs> amy Steele. yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> it was just like that was as you said just as good as the first right. one right but i also liked it too because uh the campground well obviously it's still like near camp blood or whatever but i love the the cabins and i love the area that it's in so like he could be behind anything he right could be hiding somewhere but i really liked when they were running around that area because it just seemed um it just seemed like a lot of fun right and i have fun watching it still and yeah 
it just sucks because I know a lot of it, like, all the movies pretty much suffered from MPAA, mm-hmm. so a lot of the shit and people getting killed is all cut out. And right. And it, sucks. it did something like a lot of horror sequels do where it takes something familiar from the original movie and then it does it in a different way, like more extreme. So in part one, you have Kevin Bacon getting the arrow through the neck yeah. after having sex. Then in part two, you have the couple getting impaled, oh, yeah. you know, right? <laughs> like it's, it's a similar thing, but yeah. done a little bit bigger. Right. So, yeah. um, and I love the last 10, 15 minutes of part two, when she goes to the shack and she puts on the mom's sweater and stuff like you can't not be captivated by that. Oh, when yeah. she, she starts to do up her hair, like, uh, like Mrs. Voorhees. And then yeah. that whole, like, Oh, you've done your job, Jason. And you just see him. He's like, yeah, he's, he's like super stare- confused. By yeah. Him, but he's like, maybe it is my mom. Right. And, and, like, it's that scene is so good that they start out Friday the 13th Part 3 with the last 15 minutes of Part 2. Because they're like, remember this? This was a better movie, everybody. So They pretty much did that throughout, I think, the whole series. Right. The next one started from the last 15 minutes of the previous one. Right. And, uh, yeah, I like that. I like that little recap. And then even Part 3, I know, skipping ahead, but that leading into part three and right. you just see him kind of like shuffle away on the yeah, ground. I'm like, yeah. all right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and then the, uh, the part that I love about part three is when, uh, it's just Mrs. Voorhees head. And then the theme song kicks in the disco theme. And then Friday the 13th yeah. comes out one eye and part three comes out the other the eye. It's time, so great. <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm like, this head's going to move. Right. It's going to yeah, blink. Or it's going to open. Or yeah. At all. And right. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm waiting for that. And it just never happens. Uh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah, if if you haven't heard the Friday the 13th Part 3 theme, go look it up, because it's tremendous. <laughs> it's, like, the perfect dance song. <laughs> I know, it's so good. Um, okay, so uh, for my second one, okay, um, this one isn't... Okay, do you consider Gremlins a horror film? Yeah. See, I was going to put Gremlins 2 okay. on my list, too, okay. so let's talk about it. Okay. Grem- okay, so first of all, let me start off by saying Gremlins 1 is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is the perfect movie to watch at Christmas because I love movies that are like a little bit of everything, kind of like Dawn of the Dead. It starts out, it's like a fun, happy, adventure, family, kids movie, and then it turns into the craziest fucking yeah. shit, and nobody expects it to happen because you. Th- it's like, oh, it's Spielberg, and he's going to make a key. Yeah, this is coming off two off. years off after E.T., right? Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, it's like going to be a cute thing. You have to fur pet, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, like, these, it's a literal, like, 1950s sci-fi movie because yeah. it's, like, these these things come from this cute little thing and then he multiplies and you're like, oh, it's going to be goofy and wacky. And then, like, no, like, these little shits are, like, they yeah. fuck your day up. You and can see them being little shitheads. Right. (laughs) And then they turn into these disgusting egg things, and then they come out as these horrible monsters that we know as gremlins. Um, And then it turns into... The scene when the mom is in the house alone, and then you just hear the, do you hear what I... And it's like the scariest shit, and you're like focusing on the TV, because you're like, what the hell is happening? And the mom takes the knife and just stabs the fuck out of a gremlin, and green blood's everywhere. She throws one in the microwave, it explodes. She puts it in a blender, and blood shoots out everywhere. going all around. And it's like, at the start of the movie, it's nothing like this. (laughs) But anyways, gremlins... Oh, and then... 
there's that hilarious scene where the bitch uh, from the bank, the old lady, uh, oh. she gets launched out of her fucking chair yeah. <laughs> because the gremlin, she has this, she's like an old lady. She has the um, chairs that ride you up the stairs. I forget what those are called. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the gremlins <laughs> turn it on the speed to like a million percent and she gets launched out the window. I know. Oh <laughs> and it's God. so funny. Um, but yeah, so I consider gremlins, uh, it's, it's a kid's horror film, but it is a horror yeah. film. I definitely say. Um, but Gremlins Two, yes, might be one of the greatest movies of all time. If if not, definitely one of the greatest sequels of all time. I think time. it's way better than the first one, and I love the first one right, too. Right, right. Uh, Dante came back to direct mm-hmm. Joe Dante, and he pretty much brought the cast that survived back. Yeah. Um, and then we have like Christopher Lee. Yeah, Christopher Lee's in this movie. The head like scientist uh-huh. when they're in the testing lab. And he's just so menacing because I remember the two twin brothers are like, oh, yeah, we found something and <laughs> right. we'll show you. And they put the music on and it's, it's Gizmo dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just kind of, Christopher Lee's like, all right, we can't let it, you know, out of our sight. And, it tr- and he tries to run off and he just grabs, he grabs him. him. I know. And the way, he, I forget what he says, but the way he says, I'm like, holy shit, like I would be afraid of right. his hand. I'd be like, oh, right. my God. <laughs> and yeah. even uh, uh, Dick Miller. Yeah, oh, Dick Miller's really... He's great in Gremlins 1, but he really shines in Gremlins 2. When he starts freaking out again, when um, the one Gremlin is, like, swooping down and flying, yeah. he's like, it's a Gremlin! He's like, he's back! Yeah. And then no one else on New York is... They just all walk <laughs> by, no one even fine. gives a fuck. He's, like, flailing at this <laughs> bat Gremlin. No one even notices him. It's so funny. Oh, um, man. Yeah, and, and that movie's so great with, like, comedy, too. Like, when, when they go to the apartment, and then, like... Uh, Phoebe Cates character takes home another Mogwai that's not Gizmo, but she thinks yeah. it's Gizmo, and then it starts laughing, and uh, Dick Miller goes, oh, what was that? And the wife goes, don't worry, Murray, I heard it too. He's yeah, like, of course you heard it too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, so, it's so good. That I love that movie so much. Oh, um, but yeah, so... <laughs> It takes everything that was great about Gremlins 1 and just amplifies the fuck out of it. Like, Gremlins 1 takes place in, like, a little town. Gremlins 2 takes place in Clamp Tower, which is essentially Trump Tower. And it's, like, this, uh, the building of the future. And there's, like, this hilarious part where, uh, because everything's automated in the building. And Phoebe Cates is like, oh, like, elevator, sound the alarm. And the Gremlins have taken over the elevator. And and they all make different noises of alarms. (laughs) And then, yeah, it's just so great. I love Gremlins 2 so much. And then uh, the gremlin that takes the... uh, the the drink uh, and he, he gets the glasses on and oh, then the brave. turtleneck yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and oh. then... Uh, <laughs> when he goes on on the TV show, and then uh, he's like, "Oh, now uh, now watch this," and he takes a gun, he just blows a big gremlin away, yeah. and, and he goes, "Now was that civil? <laughs> no, fun, yes, yeah. but not civil." Uh. <laughs> and then when when they're uh, when they're in the the stock market area, the gremlins are smashing the table. They're like, "Buy, sell, buy, sell," and then he he's on the phone, and he's like, and he's like, uh, he's like, "Oh, do whatever you want, but uh, we're advising our clients to put their stock in canned food and shotguns." <laughs> It's so great. He's like the funniest character. And then, uh, of course, there's that moment of uh, absolute um, uh, fourth wall breaking where the movie, the film gets interrupted because Uh. the gremlins destroy the film. And could you imagine seeing that scene in the theaters 
1990 when it came out because that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be cool because and it's Hulk Hogan, isn't it? Yeah. So so what happens is uh, the film gets completely destroyed. It starts to like shake a little bit as Christopher Lee's talking, and then it just completely dissolves and and then it's a blank screen. If you're watching it on <laughs> DVD, you're like, what the hell? But if you're watching it in the theaters, that would be amazing because then you just hear Gremlins start to like talk and then they start doing like bunny rabbits on the screen <laughs> and then one of those she goes oh abraham lincoln he turns like a perfect looking abraham lincoln it's so good and it's so funny and then it cuts to hulk hogan in the theater and he's like what gremlins in this theater and he yeah, stands up and he's so <laughs> yeah, so so ripping off his shirt <laughs> it's so good and like this sounds ridiculous it sounds like it shouldn't work but gremlins 2 works on every level and like no one remembers how good gremlins 2 actually is but Gremlins 2 is actually so good. It is fun. Um, uh, what were you going to say? I can't remember if it's the first one or the second one when they do, uh, when they talk about Gremlins and it's Leonard Malton. It's John Landis. It's Leonard Malton. Yeah. Yeah. But everyone, okay. Do you get them mixed I, up too? I swear to God, dude. I, every time, it doesn't matter how many times somebody's like, "Oh, it's not John Landis." When right. I watch, I'm like, "That's John Landis." Okay. There are interviews of John Landis with Leonard Malton because they're actually friends, <laughs> and they're like, "Why do we? Why does everyone think that we're the same person?" And they're like, "We're white and we have beards. That's it." They look. <laughs> they like literally look. The, they literally. Okay. So the first time I was introduced to John Landis was through a documentary called "The American Nightmare." Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Okay, it's fantastic. Um. And when he came on, I looked over to my dad and I'm like, is that the guy from Gremlins Gremlins 2? He's like, no, that's John Landis. <laughs> and then, like, uh, at the start of the Star Wars VHS tapes, it was Leonard Moulton introducing uh, uh, George Lucas and stuff. And then I was like, is that John Landis? And I was like, no, that's Leonard Moulton. <laughs> So, yeah, and then like in when uh, John and uh, and Leonard Mullen are talking together, uh, I forget who it was, but like some celebrity was like uh, like signed an autograph to Leonard Mullen said to John Landis, <laughs> and like I don't know why everyone they do look very similar, but like everyone gets them mixed up, so that's oh so funny. God. Uh, but yeah, um, Leonard Mullen and Joe Dante actually knew each other when they were twelve. Because they used to go to the same like horror sci-fi conventions and That's stuff, so isn't wild. that really cool? That is and cool. then like one became a filmmaker, one became a one of the best film critics, and That's then yeah, and he didn't like Gremlins one, so he, so Joe's like, <laughs> all right, come and be in Gremlins two and get killed by them, <laughs> asshole. So I just think that that's so funny. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, here's what I was gonna say. Um, the Gremlins two novelization, uh, I got it at a horror convention, and I haven't finish the actual book but i had to skip to this part because i'm like how how would they do like how, how do you write like oh and then the film breaks and blah 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 right it's even better um the brain gremlin kills the narrator of the book and the brain gremlin starts <laughs> narrating oh, the rest of the book <laughs> that's incredible right <laughs> oh my god like that's so great read that yeah now. it's so great um okay what's your uh, third and then we'll probably unless you have way more or is this how many more do you have? I think we do one more, and I uh, think it's... We'll both talk about it, because I okay, think we sure. both just said, and it is Return of the Living Dead. Oh, yeah. Two. Okay, you know what? I actually have a couple more, so we'll keep going until okay. we're done stopping. From 88, <laughs> uh-huh. um, Ken Wiedenhorn directed. Uh, it is just as fun, maybe a bit more fun mm-hmm. than the first one, mm-hmm. because the first one is a horror comedy. Right. This one is a comedy horror. Oh, for Without sure. Without a doubt. I mean... Yeah, there's way more emphasis on the jokes and stuff in, in this one than in the other. Um, 
what are their names now? Thaw Matthews comes back, and I can't believe I'm... Oh, um, James Karen? Yes. Is that the... I believe so. Please tell me I didn't I, screw up I that name. Like, actually, <laughs> I, yes, James Karen. Okay. And, and they come back, and it's as if nothing's ever happened. They're literally playing the same characters, but they're grave robbers. They have the same lines. <laughs> I like <laughs> the whole thing is like they're tr- uh, this one woman has like a bracelet on, and mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh, how about your girlfriend?" I bet she'd like this. And he's like, "You know, I can't do this." And he's like, "Oh, you better watch your tongue if you like this job." <laughs> and Thom just goes, "Like this job," yeah. <laughs> and it's awkward, and he just sits down, and I'm like. <laughs> They're literally repeating the same thing, right. which was obviously intentional. Right. It's just so fun. And even the zombies, oh my god. The zombies are hilarious. Like, the zombies are great in Return of the Living Dead 1 because, like, they don't realize that they're being funny necessarily. Like, it, yeah. it's exactly what you're saying. It, Return of the Living Dead 1 is a horror comedy, whereas this one's a comedy horror. Yeah. So in part one, when there's, like, when they kill them and they're like, send more paramedics because they just yeah. want to eat more and shit, when like, I that's funny. The that they talked was like, this is so different. Oh, for sure. They're just like, it's not like, they're like, yeah, yeah send, it's more full at, yeah, send more, send more cops. Yeah, it's so funny. And I always remember from the first one to go back, uh, the police show up mm-hmm. and <laughs> they're like, set a trap. And the one guy, the cop pulls on his gun. He's like, oh, hold on, motherfucker. And the yeah. zombie just <laughs> yeah. fucking football tackles him right. so hard. And I die every time because he's just, he's got no idea what's coming. Right. Um, Talking about the first one for a second, the most scary. Zo- I know that we talked about in the uh, the Dawn of the Dead one, the girl that I was talking with the, with the blonde hair and shit. Mm-hmm. The scariest zombie in Return of the Living Dead um, is the one that has no arms and no legs because that was like a real person. Oh yeah, yeah. And the one that like flops around like that, oh, and he's yeah, like yeah. running, and he actually has no arms or legs. Yeah, that's um. They go and they check out the paramedic. Yeah, and he's, and he's just eating. eating his brains and, and he just it, screams at but him. But this zombie who was, and I feel bad because it's like, I don't want to be like, oh, it's fucked up. But like, that was a real person. Yeah. And like, it's like running with like little nubs on its little legs. I know. And I, like, <laughs> it's fucked up. It's the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life. Because like, how does it move with such like <laughs> agility and precision? Well, that's the thing when I, I was like, I watched that and then you watch the documentary and it's like, yeah, that, you know, it was an actual. I guess paraplegic or whatever. And then, but when you watch the movie, the part that gets me too is when you see, I think it's, who is it? Ernie. Mm -hmm. He's going back into the crematorium or whatever. And you see the little um, zombie chasing him, but he almost eats shit. Oh yeah, yeah, he falls. Oh yeah, I die because I'm. Uh, He's just so pissed off. He just ate some guy, and then he's about to eat shit. (laughs) Right, and it gets me every time. I laugh so hard. Oh my god, yeah, it's pretty fucked up. God. But part two, anyways. Uh, so, yeah. so that so uh, part one has like creepy zombies. Part two, they have a fucking Michael Jackson thriller zombie oh, at the end of the movie. When they're all they don't give up, and you just see them stand there, and then his <laughs> arms just go out. I was like, yes, this movie doesn't care at all, and it's so good. Oh. And then like like we were talking about um, the first time I ever watched that movie, well, the only time I've ever watched it, but I love it so much. I watched it with my sister, and uh, we were dying when the zombies like get that damn screwdriver out of my head, <laughs> and it's just so funny. Oh, no. oh my god! <laughs> yeah, because like the the movie starts out like really cheesy as we talked about, and then it it makes it very 
clear that like don't take this seriously like at all like it part one is like kind of like depressing in like a comedic fucked up way if that Mm -hmm. makes sense it's like nothing that's happening to the characters is funny but it's funny as like an outsider perspective like (laughs) they get a fucking nuke dropped on them like it's not a funny like in the end of part one like it's not a funny movie but then this one is just completely funny (laughs) so um yeah i love part two so much i should watch it again it's so good i like when um James Cameron, he's Karen. <laughs> yeah, James Cameron. Oh my god, the director James of Terminator Karen shows up, <laughs> puts his hand in the bag, and he's and the zombie head's biting his finger, right. and he's just like completely like ah. <laughs> and he's, all, he's such a down. He's like, oh please take me. This is my fault. He's like, they've come back for me. He's like, they're all like, shut up, stop playing, let's get going. Right. And he's just a downer the whole time. Yeah, it's so funny. But it was cool too because for the longest time. Uh, Tarman in the first one, mm-hmm. really memorable. Yeah. And then Tarman in the second one's only in it for probably about two or three minutes when it's Alan Troopman, the same guy who did Tarman in the first one. He came back to do it again. And I like that because they're right. He was like super skinny and he when he moves in that suit in the first one, it's mm-hmm. like holy fuck, it's like actual, Oh, it's great. It's yeah. like bone. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah, he's so thin. <laughs> but he didn't. I don't. He didn't have. I guess that opportunity to get one part two because they're just in that sewer drain or whatever. Right. And then Jesse just pushes it in the water. Right. And that's it. Right. I'm like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Right. But yeah, there's so much in that movie. Like I remember when uh, the zombies are breaking in and they're fighting with the the cable hookup guy, mm-hmm. and one of their arms hits the remote. And it's a workout tape, and the one zombie that's fighting with it is staring at the TV I forgot in disbelief, that. and they're all just watching it. And oh my god, I always get a kick out of that. Oh my god, because they're just so in awe with it. That's so funny. <laughs> That's God, so makes funny. Me so See, much. okay, so I mean, like, obviously, like, it's it's a movie from the '80s, but do you think that that movie's funnier than like Shaun of the Dead or Zombieland? Because I think it is personally. I yeah, I think it is, but I think those movies like definitely take a lot from these older ones right because there is certain things in like Shaun of the Dead take for instance because we're talking about a zombie movie yeah I like when Shaun and uh, what's his name his buddy when the first zombie comes in the house and they just kind of look at each other and just scream right (laughs) like you've seen that in every other zombie movie where like (laughs) they look at each other like oh shit and they scream so I'm like Okay, yeah. Right. It's got to take something from it, but even though I enjoy Shaun of the Dead, and I think it's hilarious, I think, for instance, Return of the Living Dead 2 is a lot funnier. Right. Like, I love it. Even right. when they're all driving the army. Yeah. Well, they're kind of like, hey, praise! And they like, drive by, and they're all pointing and looking at them, and they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like, little things like that. Yeah. It's, no, I know. I, I love that movie so much. <laughs> it's so good. And the... The one thing that pisses me off is, like, the bully kid. He's so annoying, even when he's a zombie. Right. <laughs> the shit he says in the movie, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and I'm just like, God, fucking damn it. Right. And then when Doc finally, like, shows up, too, he just adds to it. Right. I remember it's, like, a colleague busting through the door. Right. And he's like, oh, you. Yeah, we went to class. We were this class <laughs> together. And the zombie recognizes him and gets pissed off. He's like, oh. Oh, yeah, you died in a heart attack or whatever. <laughs> Shit like that. Right. Just, oh, my God. <laughs> it's so good. Right. They don't make them like that anymore. No, they don't. Yeah. Could you imagine someone nowadays taking, like, a, a kind of serious, like, 
I mean, like, not actually serious, but, like, a horror comedy and then, like, making it even more comedic and getting a theatrical distribution nowadays, like, that would that wouldn't happen. <laughs> I wish it would. I can't even <laughs> think of what they would, what they could do. Like, that would be, like, no. them making, like, a... Like a a pet cemetery too. That's just like completely comedic. Like, could you imagine doing that? That would be so fucking crazy. <laughs> I think it it definitely be a lot harder now, just because. Like it, movies back then don't feel like movies today, like at all. Like no. it, there's a completely different feel. Even like going about making it, distribution. Yeah. Like look at Romero. Yeah. He pretty much like. Fuck school, film school, I'll do everything on my own. Yeah. It's so funny that... And it's a different feeling right. than other movies you watch from that time. Even his movies, when you watch other people's movies, you, it feels different. Yeah. And not in a bad way. No, it's just, yeah, it, it's... Because ev- back then, filmmakers had their own stamp, like their own yeah. signature, and just be like, yep, this is a George Romero movie. And they're like, I'm going to... Especially George, and especially like John Carpenter, were like, you can I'm going to... Th- fuck it like this i'm gonna have the shit and if you don't like it you don't have to watch my movie whereas like a lot of other people especially when you got into the studio systems you had to succumb to studios with their notes and shit right Mm -hmm. like romero and and john carpenter especially were just like fuck it like i'm gonna they'll get distribution through the studios like universal with halloween 2 and 3 i believe they were involved in i believe um but you know like they were just like or even the thing, like I'm pretty sure John Carpenter had complete control over that entire movie. Yeah, I'm pretty you sure. You know, even did. though it was a remake and stuff, and even though it didn't do well, but like they, it, it does well now. You know, people like the yeah, thing now, but it completely bombed in '82 when it came out. Um, it's hard to think that it did when you watch it now. Like when I first watched it, I was like, "This is so good," especially like special effects wise, right. so driven and. I remember when the the dog first mutates and, like, transforms. It was like, I'm watching, like, some crazy shit right now, right. and I'm loving every minute of right. it. Right. <laughs> right. Even the blood test in that movie. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's probably the best scene of the movie, I think, is the blood test yeah. scene. Yeah, but those, those effects in that movie are fantastic. Oh, man. Um, okay, I have a kind of... Uh, this is kind of a... A bold claim, a horror confession. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, oh, also, we kind of had an idea for a segment. We're not going to do it this week, but coming in 2020, we'll have a segment called You've Got to Be Fucking Kidding Me, where we <laughs> both make really bold horror statements and shit. Um, I can't wait to do that because I can't wait to hear what stupid shit, like guilty pleasures and stuff that we come up with. But here, I'll name my first one. For sequels that are just as good, if not a little bit better than the original... Nightmare on Elm Street 2. I... Okay, uh, <laughs> I like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. When I first watched it, when I was younger, I don't remember how long ago that was, but right. it was very different. Right. It had a lot of... James Karen's in it. <laughs> yes. And it had a lot of... And I'm not saying this in a bad way. Had a lot of gay things. It does have a lot of gay things. And yeah. I was really thrown off by it because I was like, okay, well, we're watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And I think it's Jack Shoulder who directed. Um, He's a gay director, though, right? I'm pretty and sure. And I didn't find that out until after. Right. And even he, to, I think to this day, he still kind of says, he's like, oh, no, no, no. It wasn't anything like that. I was just making a movie. And I'm right. like, well, Jesse gets like 
pinned up to a wall naked and he starts getting whipped. I'm yeah, like, oh, right on the ass, isn't yeah. it? I was like, oh, and and Jesse goes to find his teacher who's in a gay uh, oh, bar, the bar with the leather everywhere. <laughs> and um, what's the there's other like really homo well, and again there's nothing wrong with that it's yeah, just it's like just, the I didn't know. there's just a lot of gay elements of Nightmare on Elm Street too um, even Jesse yeah. singing and cleaning in his room okay <laughs> again there's nothing wrong with this but when he is doing a little butt bounce <laughs> to close his drawer yeah. that is the gayest shit <laughs> It was, <laughs> and I'm not even saying that in a bad way. It's just like no. you, ha- like how can you look at this though and be like, oh, there weren't any gay elements to it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was. Um, but like I, I said, like I honestly, like the first time I saw that, I'm like, this is better than part one. And I know that's, com- I don't, ag- I don't necessarily agree with that right now. But there are times when I'm kind of in the mood to watch Nightmare on Elm Street I liked too. Freddy in it because he was, he was different. Um, yeah, but his so, makeup was really good. I liked it more right. in the second one than the first one. And one thing that. Is kind of messed up is that he doesn't wear a glove in part two. The, the knives come out of his actual fingertips, yeah. which is a strange choice. And part two is also the first, because no one ever really remembers this either. The sweater in part one, he doesn't have the stripes on his arms. It's only the stripes on the chest. Oh, It's yeah, completely right. red uh, on his sweater. Um, part two. Part two is the first one that has stripes the everywhere. stripes everywhere. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so for the first little bit, okay, because up until that point, um, Michael Myers had been changed every movie up to that point. Um, Jason had been changed every movie. So, like, they didn't f- feel the need to bring back Robert Englund as Freddy. So for the first half of the movie, it's not Robert Englund. It's just a random stunt guy who's playing Freddy. That's why you don't really see his face at all. You see him in the shadows or you see his arm or whatever. But then at the end of the movie, which I think is awesome, when he comes out and it's at the pool party and there's fire everywhere and he's just like, you're all my children now. It's yeah. just so great. <laughs> yeah, with the flames shooting yeah, right behind so him. Yeah, it's so good. And then I love the fact that, that the family moved into the house from part one. Like, I, I really like that element to it. Yeah. It's just, and then they find Nancy's diary and shit. I just oh, think yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I really like part two. Part two is good. I remember like a few things too that kind of threw me off. Well, for one, Clue uh, Gulliver. Oh, that's who. Well, it wasn't James Karen. I'm an idiot. It was Clue Gulliver. Yeah, right. I, he's in it, and I think he's he's good for the role. I think I, I think it suits him. Um, and then some other things that were in it that were like threw me off at first too. I remember when Jesse goes over to uh, uh, Ron Grady's house at night. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and he's sitting <laughs> there and he's like, "Oh yeah, if you see anything weird, just wake me up and all that stuff." Right. And some weird shit starts happening. Or no, Jesse wakes himself up, and then <laughs> he's leaned up against the wall and he's laying on the ground and you right. see like an imprint on his stomach yeah. and, and he's like, "He's inside of me" and yeah. all that stuff. And I was like. Hmm. Yeah, and, and then, then later on in life, I was like, "Ah, oh, okay, right. I right." And uh, there, uh, there is a part I believe too where where because the guy's like, uh, "You have a smoking hot blonde trying to sleep with you, and you want to sleep with me." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then and then Jesse's like, "There's a man trying to get inside my body," and yeah. it's like he, they're not even trying to be subtle no, about this it was at all. Straight out, like, yeah, this is what we're doing, right? And that's another thing too. Like we're talking about, like filmmakers having their stamp. Like they that would that script would have to go through so many different people now and be like, oh, you can't really have all this stuff. I don't think it would get it. made now. It it, it wouldn't, and no. that's the unfortunate reality. Unless right? it was like something. Unless it was all positive, like 
Sure. I'm not saying it wasn't positive back then, but if it was like more. But it would have to be like super gay. Yeah. If that makes like that, that would have to be the point of the movie instead of like an underlying theme. Yeah. It would have to be the point of the movie. Like straight out, that's what it is. Right. But yeah, oh, part two is good. Right. I like that, and especially when uh, near the ending, when they go to the 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 factory and you see the dogs with the human faces. Yeah. I thought that. Yeah, was, I always really like. Yeah, that. that's fucked up. Um, do you have another? Um. Amityville 2. Okay, I've never seen Amityville 2, so oh you're, you're all alone God. in this conversation. Amityville 1's good. Right. Um, Josh, is it Josh Brolin? Or who's I'm the older sure. one? James Brolin. Uh, James Brolin. In the first one, right. Margaret, uh, Margot Kidder. Great. I really liked him. Um, he was really like you see his transformation throughout the movie because of being in there and whatnot. Right. But in part two, um, I forget who directed it. Let me uh, check this out quick. We'll be more professional next time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say this is just dead air. <laughs> so part two is called The Possession. And it was directed by an Italian guy, I'm pretty sure. But it's, like, really weird. There's, like, weird incest shit in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, like, the the brother is, um... He's being affected by it when they move in there. And... There's one part where he goes into his sister's room and he's like, yeah, this is fine, don't worry about it. Right. And she's kind of like, you're my brother and, you know, you kind of keep me safe and all that. And right. now we're kind of, like... Having sex right now, <laughs> right? Jesus, and it Christ. was really weird. Yeah, I remember watching it. I'd be like, Hold, this is sleazy. Like this right. is fucking. This is exploitation right here. Right. And then he has a transformation where his whole his whole face goes all weird and stuff. And I was like, this is pretty good. Like, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying this. Right. Besides, like the incest part that always like really weirded me out at first. Right. That movie's just like bonkers, fucking wall to wall crazy. Right. And it's. I think it might be my favorite out of the Amityville movies. Interesting. And how many are there? There's like oh. seven of them, something like that? Because they don't really stop making them, do they? It's like every couple of years they come out with I a new one. There's. Yeah, seven. Was I right? <laughs> I, I, really I think you were. <laughs> I would have thrown a random number. Uh, the first three came out on Blu ray a couple years ago. Right. And then four of them came out on Blu ray this year right. in October. And they get pretty weird, though, don't they? Yeah, there's I'm pretty one, sure. One, there's, like, a whole... It's called the Cursed Object Collection, which has the other ones. So, part four is, like, the evil escape, so I don't think it's in the house. Right. And then there's uh, About Time, mm-hmm. so it's, like, a clock. Right. I'm, they talk about that on Shockwaves a lot. Yeah. And then the, the other two I don't remember, but... Okay. Yeah, I remember... I think it might have been... Elric and Rebecca, or... Yeah, and uh, Tony, whatever his name is, who directed Hellraiser 2 mm-hmm. and Tix. He put... I swear to God, they put a line in it, and it's near the end of the movie. Of mm-hmm. a, it's about time. It just goes... Um, the movie's like, everything happened, and they're just like, the camera's coming in, like, it's about time. And then the movie <laughs> ends, and I'm like, oh my god, what is... Thing oh thing. my god, that's brutal. But yeah, uh, Amityville 2, The Possession. Right. It's pretty well. 82. Nice. And okay. It's pretty fucked up. 
How fucked up would it be if I was like, oh, Exorcist 2, The Heretic is as good, if not better, than The Exorcist? Pretty fucked Because <laughs> I remember watching that movie and turning off because right. it was like, holy fuck, yeah. just her talking yeah. about it. Yeah, and why is James Earl Jones in a lion costume? Yeah. <laughs> that movie makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, okay, my actual, and this is my last one, my actual one uh, is a bit more modern. Um, Hatchet 2 is better than Hatchet 1. Um, I... I used to be a really big fan of the Hatchet series. Um, I love uh, Adam Green's podcast that he does with Joe Lynch, the Movie Crypt podcast. It's yeah. fantastic. Um, it's not really a horror show. They do have a lot of horror guests, um, but uh, it's more like a, ge- a general filmmaking kind of thing. Um, I really love the show. My biggest problem, and this has kind of soured me on all of his movies, is that Adam Green is kind of full of himself, and I feel bad for saying that. <laughs> um, but, like, so basically what happened was... Uh, um, he, uh, to raise the money for Hatchet, he went out and he and his producers filmed like a little, um, like a teaser trailer. Basically they went around the swamps of Louisiana and they were filming this little thing. They had like a creepy kid talking about the story of Victor Crowley and all this stuff. And that was able to get the money. Right. Um, Hatchet four. Well, hold on. So he has a TV show, um, called, uh, Holliston with Joe Lynch on it. And in that show, they're trying to do a mock trailer for, so that they can raise the money for their feature film. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, like you did this, like the story's kind of about your life. So fine. Hatchet four is about people doing a mock trailer to raise money, to make a movie about Victor Crowley. It's like, dude, you can't keep doing this. Like this (laughs) happened in your life. It's cool that you made a little reference to it, but you can't keep doing the story every time you make a fucking movie. (laughs) Like that drives me a little bit crazy. It's like, you're not a dumb person. Like, and then he kind of goes off and talks about how like Victor Crowley is like an icon of horror. And I'm like, not really like there are like, it's, it's, I don't mind him, but sure. no, he's not. But, but, okay, but big. like, right? But he talks about how like kids show up with like Victor Crowley masks, and I'm like, I guarantee you, no kid knows who Victor Crowley is. But anyways, Adam, I love you, <laughs> but just stop making the same shit. Um, anyways, Hatchet One it goes back to the kind of Friday the Thirteenth type era slasher movies. Victor Crowley is essentially. Jason Voorhees yeah. a little bit. It's this guy um, who was a child when he died, um, and then he comes back as, like, this ghost. So he's not like Jason because Jason's, like, a real person, but he's this ghost that keeps repeating and shit, and every time someone comes into his swamp, he kills him. And not only is he a complete character, not ripoff, but a variation of Jason Voorhees, but he's also played by Kane Hodder in all the movies. Yeah. Um, Hatchet 1 is a funny movie. It has some really great gore scenes. Um, John Carl Beekler worked on the special effects for that movie. Um, and Hatchet One's good. It has a lot of horror stars in it. Robert Englund's in it. Tony Todd's in it. Oh, yeah. Kane Hodder's in it. Um, and then part two, the main actress uh, got replaced from part one to part two. And so Hatchet, um, the whole Hatchet series actually each movie picks up the frame after the first one ends. So uh, Hatchet 1 ends with uh, the character of Mary Beth being taken under the water, I believe. Hatchet 2 starts with her coming out of the water. It's like right after. Um, Hatchet 2 ends with her blowing Victor Crowley's face open. And then Hatchet 3 starts with her blowing Victor Crowley's face open. Oh, so it's like yeah. literally like the frame after. Um, but there is a little bit of a continuity thing because Mary Beth is played by a different actress. In the first movie, I forget who she's played by. Um, second movie is Daniel Harris, and I love Daniel Harris so much. Um, 
not only is she completely beautiful, but she's also just a fucking badass. And I, I love her as an actress. Um, and she really shines in Hatchet 2. Um, Hatchet 3, I don't really like as much. But 2, whenever I would have, like, friends come over and they're going to spend the night and shit, I'm like, we're watching Hatchet 2. <laughs> it was either Dawn of the Dead or Hatchet 2 because I'm like, this movie is just so great. And everyone's like, well, I've never seen Hatchet 1. I'm like, fuck it. You don't, d- you don't need to yeah. watch I'm it. I'm like, it's just a killer in the woods. Like, <laughs> let's enjoy this. Hatchet 2, I, I don't know when the last time you saw Hatchet 2 was. If Have you seen Hatchet 2 I or not? I can't remember if I have. Okay. I think I may have, but it's, it's probably fanta- when it first came out. Okay, it's fantastic. You should really go back and watch it. There's this character. It, it adds more comedic elements, but it's taken more seriously. It's more like Return of the Living Dead 1 than Part 2. Oh, okay. Um, so it adds... Um, not Okay, when I say Tom Holland, I don't mean Spider-Man Tom Holland. I mean the director of Child's Play, Tom Holland. Oh. He's in the movie as an actor, and he plays Daniel Harris's, like... Uh, uncle technically um and tony todd plays a huge role in it um uh, a lot this movie has a lot more horror actors in it too um anyways hatchet 2 is great and it's more comedic there's this one character uh who is like obsessed with daniel harris in the movie and uh, they're out on this boat to go look for victor crowley and he just starts singing a song about chicken and biscuits and gravy <laughs> <laughs> and in the movie, they're just like looking around, like, what the fuck? And he's like, chicken and biscuits and gravy. And it's like, nothing to do oh with anything God. else. But it has one of the best kills in any horror movie I've ever seen because Victor Crowley comes out of the woods and he's got this chainsaw that's like 30 feet. I'm not even exaggerating. And there's these two guys, or maybe it's three guys. I forget. And they're holding guns and they're like aiming at him. And he starts with this chainsaw and he lifts it up underneath them like through their crotch and he starts lifting them up into the air and as him being lifted the thing's obviously running and they're like freaking out blood shooting ever and then you see four testicles just like drop uh-huh. <laughs> and it's so funny it's actually so good uh, but yeah anyway so hatchet 2 uh i like better than hatchet 1 so if you haven't seen them you should check out those movies um but yeah um Okay, now let's get on to our kind of main topic, even though this is now running longer than our first episode, but that's okay. Um, Speaking of a sequel to a classic horror movie, um, Doctor Sleep just came out, uh, and I saw it. Uh, It is, of course, the sequel to The Shining. Um, I'm currently reading the book. I'm not done yet. I wanted to finish the book before I actually saw the movie, but I did not have time to because I'm a very slow reader. Um, That's my biggest problem is that I love Stephen King books. Um... But I just, I'm so slow at reading, man. Like yeah, I don't I, like speed read either. When, it, when I read a book, it takes me a while. Yeah. I'll like, read like a chapter here and there. It took me like four months to read Pet Cemetery. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> My sisters are like, I can read that in like two nights. I'm like, I know, but I, I don't understand how you can do that. <laughs> Lay off. Uh, right. I'll read it in my own uh, Right, exactly. Uh, so yeah, so Dr. Sleep came out. Um, what were your thoughts on Dr. Sleep? Well, I have not read the book at all. Right. Um, I knew it was a sequel to The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that Mike Flanagan was directing. Um, I was a little bit kind of on the fence when uh, I seen Ewan McGregor playing Danny. Right. But that quickly changed my mind. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. Right. Uh, I loved the story. Mike, like, the big thing for me is Mike and his directing and his adaptations of uh, King stuff. Like, he did 
uh, Gerald's Game. Yeah. And I absolutely love that movie. Right. I know a lot of it's just her sitting in bed, sure. handcuffed. But when you start to see that guy hang out by the window or by the curtain. Right. That, like, I got chills from that because, like, oh, shit, somebody else is in the room with you and you have no idea. And then when you see him when they're in the court or whatever, it's like, holy fuck, it's just like a normal kind of little bit disfigured looking guy. Right. But when you see him in that room, it's like, it's something creepy. Right. So I kind of had a lot of faith in it because Mike's name was attached to it. Right. Pretty much start to finish. Uh... The runtime, I didn't notice. Right. I enjoyed every minute of it. Right. Um, there's a few familiar faces. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the guy's name, but like I said, the guy who played Lurch in the Adams Family movies, he has a, uh, a small, well, kind of small, right. medium part in it. It was good to see him, and then, yeah, like... The, the original Danny comes yeah. and uh, has a I didn't notice cameo. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't see it. JT told me. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't even know. Which, I, as we were talking, I, I thought that that was really nice of them to include him uh, in that movie. Um, just because, like, obviously, like, Danny Lloyd has been in three movies, one of them being The Shining and one of them being <laughs> Doctor Sleep. So, I mean, they weren't really going to bring him back for to play the grown-up Danny, especially when you have a name like Ewan McGregor, who's was obviously interested in taking on the role. Um, But, you know, like... um, When I first saw the trailer, though, I didn't... Because it's famous that Stephen King hates Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Yes. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. Even though horror fans love The Shining, and uh, people who just love movies in general love The Shining. Like, it's like one of those movies that are considered, like, one of the greatest films in cinematic history. Nicholson's performance is unreal. Oh you yeah, see him normal everyday dad, and then he just slowly starts to break, and you see him start to get pissed off, and then he just loses it. Right, and it's like a transition that's done very well. Right, yeah. Um, I actually just rewatched The Shining last night, um, and they did such a good job with the recreation of the Overlook Hotel. Um, not super spoiling it, but it's in the trailers. Danny has to go back to the Overlook Hotel in Dr. Sleep and they do it so well. Like it's so good. Um, there was one thing that kind of bothered me about the movie. Um, is that, uh, when Danny goes to get the job interview, um, when he's in the, the, uh, when he gets off the bus and he goes for the job interview, that office is just like the office that Jack goes to in the overlook and like right down to the pictures on the walls and the stuff on the desk. And it's like, Okay, I get the parallel that they're making, but at the same time, like, we are going to the Overlook later on, so, like, don't reference this right the second, you know what I mean? It was just kind of took me out of the moment, like, the movie for a bit. I think when I first saw that, I was, like, I was super excited because, like, okay, and I didn't think it was at the hotel, but I was just, like, it's kind of cool to see Nicholson in that. Right. Same kind, well, not same scenario, but same area. Right. And then here it is, how many years later, Danny is talking to somebody, and it's just... Yeah. I like when they do things like that, like subtle little things to bring you, like something to make you think about the first one or the original. Right. And I was like kind of in awe when he was just sitting there talking to the guy and I was like, holy fuck. I was like, Nicholson was here so many years before. Right. Oh man. Right. Um, I loved 
so like I really love the book. Um, it's not a scary book necessarily the way, but it's funny because I don't even really think that Stephen King books in general are scary. Does that make sense? Like I, I think that they well, are. That's a thing, right? Like especially for us. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to read something by Stephen King and be scared by it because right. you know, kind of like what he, like he's got a religion and his right. stuff, and you know, like some of the some of the things that are going to be in his book, it won't bother you as much. But you right. give it to somebody who doesn't read or, you know, first time reading anything, and it's a Stephen King book, it might get to them. Yeah, but like probably for some listeners and you and I, it's completely completely different right yeah that's true um the only thing that really bugs me about the entire story of dr sleep is that they all have ridiculous names like when it's like oh rose the hat snake by andy and it's like well that's kind of a little bit cringy daddy crow yeah it's just like yeah i just wish that they had better names but i mean like what that doesn't ruin my enjoyment of the of the thing you know like it's uh um how do you think it held up as a sequel to the shining because The Shining, as we said, it, it, it is a legitimate masterpiece yeah. of a movie. Um, there's times where it's its own movie. Right. You can tell you're watching something at least related to it, but then there's other times where I'm like, this is like full-blown sequel right. to The Shining. Right. And, you know, except for the fact that they go back to the hotel. Like, obviously, when they're there, it's like, yeah, this is a sequel. But right. There's little things, I think... Ewan McGregor was doing in the movie where he was either trying to like not remember The Shining or like gets a bit spoily spo- <laughs> spoily <laughs> right. um, when he has the boxes yeah. to put things right. away yeah. like, which I think is so cool like that's yeah, such a that, cool thing when it's used later on. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not to give too much away. Yeah. But yeah there's like, one part in the movie where, like, a bunch of shit comes together, and it's just, I cannot help but think of The Shining. Right. And it was probably one of my favorite moments in the movie. Right. For sure. And, like, again, I cannot, I don't like Ewan McGregor that much. Like, I know him as... Obi Wan, right. but <laughs> I think this is my favorite thing he's ever done. Yeah, no, he's he's really good in it. Like, it was, yeah, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Um. So when the movie was coming out, I didn't realize because, uh, as I was saying before, uh, Stephen King hates Stanley Kubrick's movie. So when I found out that they were doing um, Doctor Sleep, I thought that they were gonna just try to pretend. As if, like, that movie never happened. But yeah. then that trailer comes out, and it's, like, so steeped in the original The Shining. Because it's Danny driving through, you know, with his bike. And it's, like, the same Shining carpet. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. They're referencing The Shining, even though Stephen King hates it. Yeah. Um, and, like, one thing, too, that I didn't know how they were going to play this off was, like... Uh, because at that point, I didn't realize that it was a sequel to the movie and not and not that the book. Um, but, like... In the book, and this is spoilers, but it's a book that came out like 45 years ago, so everyone shut the fuck up. Uh, the shine, or the shining fuck, the overlook burns down. So in Doctor Sleep, the the campsite where like the, all the Winnebagos are with, with the group of people, they're actually staying on the the where the Overlook Hotel used to be. Yeah. 
But in the movie, the Overlook stayed up. So it's like, well, how are they going to do that? But then they end up replicating the end of the book where they have Danny eventually burn down the Overlook, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Like Stephen King was saying, it is as much an adaptation of Dr. Sleep as it is a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, right? So I I just think that that was a a really cool... It's like I said, too, like, Mike uh, really knows how to, like, adapt his work into film. Right. Um, And I can't wait to read Dr. Sleep now. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. I think I'll really be into it, because I was so into the movie. Right. And and the book is is better. So if you yeah. like, yeah. So if you well, okay. The book isn't better because I hate when people say that because they're two completely different mediums. You can take the same story and put it into different mediums. Yeah. And, and they're always going to be different. And that I, I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a tangent for a second. <laughs> um, some of the best movies have been incredibly unfaithful adaptations of books. Jaws is a, one of the best movies of all time. It's not that great of an adaptation of Jaws, the book by Peter Benchley. Mm-hmm. Um, something like Planet of the Apes is a fantastic book. I actually love that book. And the movie is one of my favorite movies of all time, and it's it's a horrible adaptation. Because uh, in the movie Planet of the Apes, it takes place in the future, but it's like very primitive civilization. But in the book... They, it, when he goes to a different planet, and in the book it is a different planet, it's not Earth. Again, spoilers for a 55-year-old movie, fuck me. Um, but uh, it, it, in the book, it, it's a different planet, and it's, like, modern. Like, they have helicopters, they have, like, complete cities and shit, so it, it's different. Um, but when you're doing an adaptation, you just really have to, in my opinion, keep the, the themes and the soul of whatever you're adapting. Um... One thing, because let's start talking about this. Um, Stephen King in general has become like one of the biggest like intellectual property. Like it's not even a title; it's just like Stephen King. So there's like yeah. Marvel, Star Wars, and Stephen King right now are like the top uh, IP things that that you can do. Yeah. Um, like it made so much money, like ridiculous amounts of money. Um, you slap Stephen King's name on anything right now, and it will get a fuck ton oh, yeah. of money. Um, even something like he's doing shit on Netflix. Well, he's not, but like they're doing adaptations, like you said, like Gerald's Game or In the Tall Grass, and all the shit. And I think they did a, a missed TV show that I didn't yeah, know about. Were, I think it lasted a season, maybe okay. two, but it got canceled. Right, and he's just like I don't know. Especially right now, it seems like since. It's so funny because this wasn't a Stephen King property, but Stranger Things, I feel like, really kicked off everyone's obsession, current obsession with Stephen King stuff. Yeah. Because once Stranger Things came out, then I was like, okay, here comes It, here comes Pet Cemetery, you know, here comes Doctor Sleep, and it's just like everyone's finally trusting him again, because there was that period in, like, the 90s, early 2000s when they would do, like, the miniseries and stuff. Like, I know you had It from that series that everyone remembers, yeah. but... Then he had awful things like the Langoliers and Tommy Knockers and all that stuff, right? Like just really bizarre stories of his. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because like I'm a Stephen King fan now, but uh, I never used. I was so adamant against Stephen <laughs> King when I was a kid because, and I'll still maintain this. I don't like it. I think that it is the most ridiculous thing on the planet, um, especially the book because the book is like. 8,000 pages long, and there's a part in the book where there's this giant space turtle that, like, orgasms out the universe, and Stephen King was like, yeah, I was so high on cocaine at that point, like, I don't remember writing half this book. 
And it's just like, well, why do you people take this so seriously? Like, this yeah. man was fucked out of his very, mind writing this book. Very weird. It's just bizarre, and I think that people have different memories of what it actually is. Because, like, everyone remembers it being a creepy clown. No one remembers that it's a giant spider at the end of the movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's always like, oh, it's a creepy clown that kills people. Yeah, but not really. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like, I, I just think that everyone's everyone has these, like, childhood memories of it being really scary because they probably, like, covered their eyes and watched the retarded stuff happen. But, like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't know. It... I don't really like that story, but I, I, I read Pet Cemetery. That was the first Stephen King book that I read. And then I read The Shining um, and uh, his other books that haven't been made into movies. Well, there was technically an adaptation of It's called Bag of Bones, and that one's actually really good. That was really good, and it had uh, Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan. Yeah, okay, so I, I haven't seen the movie. Is, is it good? It's, it was like a, it's a miniseries. Right. It was on A&E, and I actually really enjoyed it. Right, um, okay, good. He put on a good performance from what I remember. It was on TV so long ago. Yeah. But um, the book is really, I, honestly. I have to read the book for that still, but the show, I think you should watch it. Yeah, for sure. Um, my current top three Stephen King books from what I've read so far is Pet Cemetery number one, just because I just. I don't. I don't even know what I love about it. I just love Pet <laughs> Cemetery. Um, I hated the twenty. Was it twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen adaptation? It was. Was that twenty nineteen for Pet Cemetery? Or was that twenty eighteen? I can't oh, remember. Oh Jesus! I think it was. Was did it come out this year or last year? This year. Okay, then twenty nineteen. Um, and then I actually really like the eighty four uh, Pet Cemetery. Or was it eighty six? I think it was eighty four. Okay, yeah. Um, and the book is great. So much better. It it really is. (laughs) And yeah, um, but then uh I I I also love Bag of Bones, like I said, it's probably my number two, and then Doctor Sleep is my those are my top three Stephen King books. Um, but I used to be so adamant, I'm like, Stephen King sucks. (laughs) And like I didn't even read Stephen King, and I'm just like, his shit sucks, it's boring, it's long. Because I'd always heard like, oh, there's like eight million characters that you have to remember and follow. And like he does kind of do the same where he created a fictional town of Castle Rock, which is now a TV show. So another that's another IP. It is absolutely incredible. I haven't I've only watched the first episode. It is so good. And what I love about that show though is that it's not an adaptation of one Stephen King story. It's just It's, it's an adaptation of the Stephen King world. Yeah. And I just think yeah, that's super I cool. I like that they're doing that. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Uh, I liked... Uh, I loved Graveyard Shift, the book. Right. And the movie. Right. I think... It, I, I haven't read that yet. Um, Brad Dorf in the movie. He played it really good. He was the exterminator for the rats. Right. Um, and the other one, uh, Car- or Christine. Right. I really liked Christine and Carrie, actually. I really liked Carrie. Right. Um, I haven't read a lot of it. I've read a few things. Uh, one thing that kind of... I wasn't upset by it, but I wish they did. Like, Carpenter adapted... Christine. Christine yep. into the film. But the one thing that I, I kind of wanted in it was... Uh, in the book, when you're reading it, it's a demon. Right. In the back seat talking to uh, Arnie or whatever his name right. is. I forget. I would have loved to see that in the movie. I think right. that would have been really cool. Right. That's probably the only complaint I have about that. Other than that, the movie's good and the book is really good. Right. And I really enjoyed both. Um, and then, obviously, George Romero was... Uh, yeah. He did a bunch of Stephen King what stuff. Well, Creepshow was his and Stephen King's brainchild yeah. together. Um, I think Monkey Shines? Monkey Shines was a King book. 
I f- yeah, I think it might have been. And he directed it. The- and then he also made Dark Half. Dark Half. Dark Half is so good. Right. I haven't seen that movie, but I have that book. I have to... I Because ha- every time I go out now, I'm like, oh, I need to buy more Stephen King books. So, um, And then he was also... Okay, George Romero was also supposed to do... Um, uh, Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Yeah, yeah, because Richard Rubenstein produced it, and Richard yeah, I Rubenstein. Yeah, that was weird because they were partners, like him and Romero. Right. And then you see his name, but no Romero. Right. Um, I'm like, pretty what? sure they had a falling out. What did he produce? Day of the Dead or no? Oh wait, no. I forget I if he did or he not. Did. I feel like they had some sort of falling out, but that's just complete speculation and bullshit on my part. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, and then. Uh, and um, Romero was supposed to direct a version of uh, The Stand, which was yeah. uh, Stephen King. I'm pretty sure that's his longest book. I remember reading a little bit about that. Yeah. That would have been interesting. I think I would have liked to see what he would have done with it. Yeah, but again, I I, I haven't read the book yet, but uh, apparently it's it would have been too long for a movie. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, so much. So, it, and I'm pretty sure Mick Garris directed the TV version of yeah, that. Yeah, he did. And he... Stephen King and Mick Garris must love each other because they do so they much shit together. I yeah, mean, he's done the Cat People or Sleepwalkers. Yeah, he did the um, Shining, the the miniseries the, of the Shining. Yeah, um, yeah, they go hand in hand. I think. Yeah, for sure. But I think Mick Garris is like he really likes King and he really likes his work. And I think like even Mike Flanagan, he really likes his work. Yeah, he's gonna try and adapt it like the best pot like best way possible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, like closest to the book as possible right. because if you go off and make like whatever the you know the hell you want, which has been done with some fucking adaptations and right, just a shithole movie, but the right. book is obviously better. Right. I think if you go way too often, it's just like, well, why would you want to watch anything right. like that again? Then if they're not going to keep anywhere close to the right. source material, right? Yeah, and Mike does that, and McGarris definitely does that. Oh, for sure. And I haven't actually seen the miniseries of Shining, right? And I have to watch it still. Yeah, I, I've never seen the whole thing, but uh, it's definitely interesting to compare the two because, like, on, on one hand, uh, well, one thing that I thought was cool um, was that uh, the the hotel that Stephen King stayed at that inspired The Shining, they actually shoot in that hotel in the miniseries, That's which cool. was different from the, obviously the the Kubrick movie. And apparently that place is haunted as fuck. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, super haunted. Yeah, and I would like to. That would be so cool to yeah. go there. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently you have to like, book it like years in advance to get room t- 217 because that's what it is in the book. It's 237 in the movie, but 217 in the book. Yes. I haven't seen it, but I heard it's like outlandish. Okay, there are a lot of real... It, it's, it's a f- fascinating documentary. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know what we're talking about, there's a documentary about... Um, about uh, ba- basically, it's people's perception of the film The Shining. It's called Room 237. Uh, and it goes off into people's theories about it because, as I'm sure all of you who've seen The Shining know, there's a lot of shit that you can pay attention to or ignore. You can either work the story just for the story or you can start to pay attention to everything else that's happening in it. And it brings up so many details. Like, these are people that watch this movie every day for, like, a year. Right. And are just <clears throat> nitpicking and pinpointing and finding out the craziest shit. And there's stuff about how it's uh, Stanley Kubrick's um, way to say that he faked the moon landing. There's people oh, yeah, who say yeah. that it's about the Native Americans. Yeah, with the, with the, the massacre. food and right. shit. So it's a fascinating <laughs> documentary. I, you would... Some of it gets a little crazy. Like, a li- like a little, a lot of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but the entire movie is completely fascinating, regardless of whether it's crazy or 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 uh, kind of true or whatever. It, the whole thing, you are just gonna sit there and watch it and just be like, "That's really fucking cool." It's such a everything is such an interesting thing that they talk about in that oh, movie. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch it now. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you have any other points to make, or should we wrap this episode up? Um, go and see Doctor Sleep while it's still in theaters. Right, support it. Yes. Um. It's good enough to see at least one. If you're a fan of The Shining or if you're a fan of Stephen King in general, just go watch the movie. I mean, it's a. Yeah, it, it was very good. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch. I, I that's all I have to say about it, pretty much. Like I I really I liked the movie personally. My sister, who I went with, didn't really like the movie, but she loves The Shining. But I, it's gonna work for people in different ways, you know. So whether you like it or you don't, just go see it. It's yeah. it, it's worth a watch. Yeah, I definitely say so. Yeah, I think that's it about. I think wrap it up for that. Okay. We've said pretty much what we need to say about it. Yeah. I have one thing I want to throw out there right now. Okay. Just because it's an Indigo Go campaign. Um, Speaking of sequels, I'll go back and do Mm -hmm. it really quick. Jason Goes to Hell. Mm -hmm. 1993. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam Marcus. I think he was 20... 23? Maybe 22? Right. Directed it. It's like completely different from any other movie. Anyways, they're doing a documentary on it. It's okay. called uh, Hearts of Darkness, the making of the final Friday. Okay. There's eight days left. It is uh, $55,260. Uh, they need $66,513. Okay. Yep. Um, so they're close. They're close. It uh, It's going to be pretty much like what went on behind... The scenes with making it because like sean cunningham apparently had his hand in it a lot and fucked up a lot of shit right and him and adam don't get along anymore right um on our facebook page i'll post the indigo go campaign link uh go and check it out and if you can uh, i think like the cheapest thing on here is like 13 bucks and mm-hmm. you get a shout out online Super. help them get it made um adam marcus is actually in uh, likes the page and in the group or whatever yep. for the podcast so that's pretty cool so i just want to give it a shout out because it only does have like a week left and hopefully it'll make its goal i still have to kind of figure out <laughs> support something it yeah support it. but yeah check that out i'll post the link and yeah support it okay perfect all right uh this has been the second episode of morbidly deceased again we will have one more episode before the christmas season and then like i said 2020 you're just gonna get so sick and tired of us (laughs) as we've got so many ideas and shit for you guys so uh thank you everyone for listening to this rather long episode um i have been jt mccallum i've been and have a spooky day